Good morning. My name is Mike Boydock, and I'm a member here at McLean. Um, our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And the message we continue this week is, This matters, why we care about what we do. Let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of the disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, all those worshiping with us in our sanctuary, in our fellowship hall, and online. It's a privilege for us to gather and now to gather around his word. So as we do so, uh, readying our hearts to look at this section from Ephesians chapter 2, let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we have sung, glory be to you and to you alone. And that's the prayer of this time in your word, that we would hear from you, that we would understand more of your character, more of your love, that we would understand even, Lord, how much we matter to you and therefore understand more of how we should order our lives in light of it. Father, as we uh, remember this uh, Reformation Sunday, the events of some 500 years ago, we remember that when the church gets lazy, when the church gets sloppy, when the church goes through the motions and doesn't keep its eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, then the church loses the gospel. And so we want to be engaged and eager and attentive as we come to your word, Lord, that the work of grace, that the work of reformation would be continuing even now in our pews, in our hearts, Lord. And so do this work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I read an article this week, I don't know if any of you saw it, uh, called How the Reformation Revolutionized Diaper Changing. Are you expecting that? How the, revolution, how the Reformation Revolutionized Diaper Changing. Uh, this week marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. The 16th century church had become uh, confused in its teachings, had become corrupt in its leadership, but revival was a-coming. Sparked by Martin Luther in Germany, a movement soon swept across Europe, and it's no exaggeration. It's really no exaggeration to say the world, not just the church, but that the world was forever changed by these events some 500 years ago. We are marking this event with a short series called This Matters, reflecting upon how the gospel that was rediscovered at the Reformation. Now, please note that word, rediscovered. We didn't come up with the gospel 500 years ago. 
the gospel has been planned from eternity past and set into motion by God through his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, Martin Luther didn't come up with the gospel, right? That was Jesus's idea, right? That was, that was the Holy Trinity that came up with the gospel. At the Reformation, we don't celebrate a discovery. We celebrate a rediscovery, a rediscovery of the doctrines, the teachings of grace. And we're asking in this series, how do these doctrines, how does the teaching of grace, how does the gospel shape the kind of church that we want to be? And today, I'm going to lay a foundation for the three weeks that follow. And here's, here's the foundation for all that follows. Are you ready? Look at, look at the front of your worship guide. My sermon in a sentence is on the front of your worship guide. And it's on the front of your worship guide every single week. Foundation for the weeks that follow. Grace changes everything. Grace changes everything, even diaper changing. Maybe we'll put that on the worship guide next week. Let's look at our text and see two of these truths that were rediscovered at the Reformation that that lead us to that larger truth, that larger truth that grace changes everything. Let's look at two powerful truths from our passage. Number one, very simply, doesn't this passage make clear point one? We are saved by grace. We are saved by grace, an important truth that was rediscovered at the Reformation. Now, maybe you're tired of hearing me say this. Maybe you say, I come to church every week, and every week says the same thing. We are saved by grace. Well, if you're tired of hearing me say this, blame Martin Luther, okay? A couple of quotes from him. We are saved by grace alone, without works or other merit. Works never merit heaven. Heaven is conferred purely of grace. We are saved by grace. And I want to challenge you, I want to prod you, I want to poke you this morning. If you are tired of hearing me say this, it may be because you've never really understood it. Because these words, we are saved by grace, should make the heart of every sinner sing. Why? Because it means that there's hope for us. It means that there's a chance for us, that there's an opportunity for people, even like me, with my mess and my sin and my brokenness, to still be saved, because they're not saved by merit, we can be saved by grace. If you are in a bad place this morning, then this is good news for you, and if it's not good news for you, you don't realize how bad a place you're in this morning. These words, that we are saved by grace, should make the heart of every sinner sing, and it's a revolutionary thought. The fact that we're saved by grace, grace, undeserved favor that comes to us from God, it's it's a revolutionary thought. All of the world's religions have sought to find a way to make us right with God. And the thread that unites every other religion is that ultimately our salvation is something that's brought about by human effort. And so Christianity stands unique amongst all all the teachings, all the dogmas, all the religions of the world, because it says you can't make yourself right with God, but God has come to make you right with him. We are saved by grace. Now, let's see where we get this in the text. We'll start in verse 1, where we read, you, me, you, we all, were dead in trespasses and sins. Underline dead. Isn't it interesting that it says dead in our sins, not injured by sin, not incapacitated by sin, not disabled by sin. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. That's what sin does to the soul. It, it kills it. It means we're not, we're not alive to God. We're dead 
to God. Spiritual things aren't of any importance to us. We just consume by the things of this world. We have no uh, desire to be in relationship with him. We have no inclination toward him. We don't think about living lives that would please him or, or care about our walk with him. We're just focused on our own things. The effect of that, the writer says, is that our souls are dead, but verse 4, look at verse 4, but God. One preacher calls this the conjunction of grace. But God, being rich in mercy, so he's not, de- he's not dead, he's rich in mercy, but because of the great love with which he loved us, I love that phrase, because of the great love with which, why does he love us? Because he loves us. That's the answer, right? Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Okay, so God loves us because he loves us even when we're dead. What has he done? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So don't let anyone tell you, Luther made this up. Don't let anyone tell you this is just the kind of evangelical wishy-washiness of the church. Look, look at those words. By grace, you have been saved. Luther's not telling you this. I'm not telling you this. God is telling you this. God is telling you that the way we are saved is not by works, but by grace. Why? Because he loves us. Why? Because he does. God has made dead things come alive. He did it with his son, Jesus Christ, and now he's doing it with us as well. Now, you understand how, how completely different a model, a picture of salvation this is. So often, even, even sadly, in the evangelical church world, there's, the, there's a misunderstanding on this point. We kind of picture grace. Maybe you've heard the picture of grace that says, oh, it's like, it's like sin is like you're drowning in the ocean. Okay? You're drowning, and you know, you're, it doesn't look like you're going to be able to swim to shore. And just before you slip under the waters, Jesus comes along, I don't know, in some sort of big lifeboat, I guess, and he throws you the ring, whatever that thing's called, and, and all you have to do is reach out and grab it, and you're saved. That's salvation, right? That is not salvation. That is a horrible picture of salvation because it doesn't say, while you were slightly struggling, Jesus came and gave you a helping hand. It said, while you were dead, Jesus came to make you alive. So here's the picture. You were struggling on the surface of the ocean. I was struggling on the surface of the ocean and we drowned. And our lungs are full of water, dead on the seabed. And then Jesus comes along. He can be in a boat if you want, right? Jesus comes along, and he dives down to the very bottom where your blue, lifeless soul is found. And he scoops you up, and he pulls you to the surface, and he resuscitates you from death into life. He, he, doesn't resusc- he resurrects you from death into, into life. That's what it means to be saved by grace. That's what the gospel means, that we were dead and now have been made alive. Luther again, we receive grace at no cost or labor on our part. How much does a dead person have to do with being made alive again? Nothing. We receive grace at no cost or labor on our part, but not without cost or labor on the part of Christ. Because the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus didn't come sailing in on some ship with some grand act of heroism to save you from the bottom of the ocean. Jesus came and nailed himself to a cross, dying that through his death we might live. That's 
what it means to be saved by grace so that people like you and I can take refuge in it this morning. We take refuge in his grace toward us this morning. We come to him and we say, Lord, I know my relationship with you can't be based on what I'm doing because I am not doing all that well. My relationship with you is based on what you have done and you have done very well. So that there's grace for me, grace for my sins to be forgiven, grace for me to continue to walk with you, grace for for all the struggles of the day and every struggle of my life, I can be accepted as your son, accepted as your daughter, loved in Christ because you save by grace. Point one, we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. Point two, and the second thing that was rediscovered, we could say, at the Reformation is that, yeah, we're saved by grace. Absolutely. Hold firmly to that. We're not going to back away from anything we've just said. We are saved by grace. And, point two, we're also saved for works. So, saved by grace, but, point two, saved for works. Look how the passage contrasts two ways of of walking. This is one of the images, one of the metaphors that Paul likes to use in the Christian life. He's talking about life as as, as a walk. And and here he contrasts two ways of walking. Look at verse 2. He starts by saying, When you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You see that? This is the first way of walking, walking according to your sin. You followed the course of the world, followed the prince of the power of the air, followed the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Maybe you've heard of that phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? This is the verse where, where that language comes from. When we were dead in our sins, before we knew grace, we walked according to the world. So whatever the world says was important, we thought we were important. We thought it was important. And there wasn't really any difference between the lives that we tried to live and the lives that everyone else was trying Secondly, when we were dead in our sins, we, we, we walked according to the flesh. We walked according to that spirit, that fleshly spirit that was within us, so that um, whatever felt good, we tried to do. <laughs> whatever temptation came along our path, we sought to satisfy it. We just did what felt right, a very hedonistic mindset. When we walked in our sins, we walked not just by the world and the flesh, but also by the devil. Isn't that a powerful verse? Living lives that didn't bring glory to God, but brought glory to Satan. Living lives that pleased the devil himself. That's the way that we walked when we were dead. But now, there's another way to walk. Look at verse 8 with me. A second way to walk, not according to sin, but according to grace. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Point one, saved by grace. And this is not your own doing, this referring to faith. So, faith is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. You understand? I'm not, I don't want to go back and preach point one again, but I kind of do, right? Isn't that great? You've been saved by grace through faith, and that faith is something that he gave you. So, he required something, and then he provided the thing he required. He required that you have faith in him, and then he gave you faith in him. That's the way grace works. All that he requires, he provides. Back to point two. Um, Give to God, not the result of works that no one may boast. Here's the key, key bit. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For. For good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. See, see the second way of walking? Not according to the world of flesh and the devil, but into the good works that God has prepared for us to do. So yeah, we were saved by grace, but we've also been saved for works. We've not been saved to be passive, we've been saved to be active. The indicative, who we are in Christ, should result in the imperative, what we do for Christ. So here's the question. If we're saved by grace, does it matter how you live? Does it matter what kind of person you are? Does it matter what you do with your days? And Jesus answers, absolutely. Not because you'll be saved by these works, but because you've been saved for these works. Understand the scope of my salvation. Wasn't just like, my salvation is so complete that I didn't just save you and then you're sitting around waiting until heaven arrives. My salvation is so complete that you're a new creation who can now walk differently, can live differently, differently, can have a fullness of life that you were unable to have before. And this is, this is so practical and important because very often, I think as Christians, we, we struggle perhaps to know how our faith connects just to the ordinary things of life. So there are Christian things you should do. Okay, so come to church. Well done, right? Um, be in your community group. Good plan. Uh, you know, read your Bible. Big fan, right? Um, but then we're not really all that sure how our faith connects to the rest of life. So what does our faith mean when we're doing carpool or when we get to the office or as we're dealing with things around the house? The Bible says, see what the Bible says. The Bible says you are God's workmanship. I love that word workmanship. It's the Greek word poema. Sound familiar? It's where we get our word poem from. God has written you. He has fashioned you. He has created you in a unique way. Now, this truth is true of us all, okay? We're all unique in the sense that he has made us all in his image and crafted us, written us in different ways. But it also uh, applies to us in very individual ways. You're not me, and I am not you, and you're not the person beside you. God has worked you, fashioned you, molded you, written you in the way he wanted to write you. And he has done so creating you for, verse 10, good works, which, don't miss this phrase, he's already prepared for you to do, which he prepared beforehand. Isn't that crazy? Just think of the incredible purpose that Christ's investing our lives with. First of all, he's saying, you, you are my poem, and you're not like the rest. You can do things that only you can do, and not just things in general, but specific things that I've already planned. What does the rest of the day hold? I don't know. God knows. He's planned it. He's prepared it, and he's molded and fashioned and written me so that I might walk into those good works he has planned. It invests us with incredible purpose, and it invests each day with incredible purpose. That's what it means that we're saved for works. So, back to Martin Luther. A few years after the 95 Theses, uh, Luther preached a sermon on marriage. And in it, he uh, sort of condemned the world for the way that the world looked down on men for doing so-called woman's work. Okay? He was um, 
encouraging and arguing that a Christian husband serves Christ when he serves in his home, because all of work, all of life is service to Christ. And then he writes, the angels and saints in heaven sing to the glory and praise of God when they see a man changing a diaper. To which all the mums say, amen, right? The angels in heaven, the saints, and the mothers on earth sing to the glory and praise of God when they see a man changing a diaper. Now, of course, what's true of the man there is true of the woman as well. Luther's point is, understand, because of a passage like this, that all the details of your life now matter. This matters. Because you're no longer just idling your days away by the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's not how you walk anymore. You now walk to do the good works that God has prepared advance for you to do. And that's true of any grand gesture of faith, and that's true of changing a diaper. Grace changes everything. It changes everything, even diaper changing. So I wonder what my life, what your life, what our lives would look like if we had this kind of mindset. If we woke up in the morning and thought, oh, man, Today I am loved by God, who is rich in mercy, because of the love with which he has loved me. And he has a plan for the day. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That while, while you're asleep, God is ready. And when you open your eyes, he's like, go time. I have a plan for today. I have a plan for today. All, all, all the days of your life have been written you know, before they've come to pass. He, he, he knows what this day holds, and you and I can attack it not to earn his grace. We already have grace. Because we've been saved by grace, we can attack it all as a, as a service to Christ. Just think how that transforms the day, right? You know, you don't just sort of do carpool with the kids. You think, oh yeah, here I have an opportunity to launch these wee ones into a day of life with Christ. You don't just um, sort of sleepily arrive at the office as if that's sort of you know, not holy work. <laughs> you show up eager to do all the things that God has prepared for you to do and to work for the welfare of humanity and to lead other people using the authority you've been given for, for their welfare. It's, it's a mindful, intentional, active approach. Uh, you don't just come home and clean house. You see it as an opportunity to bring order out of chaos for the benefit and welfare of your family. These are things, small things, that the Lord has given us to do. You get, get the, what I'm asking here? How would this mindset that your days aren't an accident, you've been saved for good works, change the way that you approach all the details of your life? Do we have this kind of purpose? I'm out of time, I need to end. Point one, you're saved by grace. You don't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to lose it. Point two, you're saved for works. Friends, you were not made to be small. And you were not made to spend your time thinking about the world, the flesh, and the devil. You have been recreated as God's poem to do specific things that he already has planned. You were made to make a difference. My favorite story on this, I'm, I don't have time to tell it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, my, favorite, my favorite story on this is uh, a story one of my elders told me about being at the Grand Canyon. You, I may have shared this story before, but one of our elders is at the Grand Canyon and, and people everywhere, right? 
and there's this family there with a, with a wee boy, and he's standing at the Grand Canyon and says to his mom, Mom, look, there's a squirrel. Okay? <laughs> right? And my, my elder's thinking like, yes, very cool. And there's the Grand Canyon, right? <laughs> Believer in Jesus Christ. Um, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Don't go chasing after squirrels. That's not God's plan for your life. God has saved you by grace, and he saved you for works. He saved you to gaze on a canyon, not to go chasing after squirrels. Grace changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time in your word. And uh, Lord, do the work of the Spirit that needs to be done for us to believe that these things are true. So much of life can feel mundane. So much, so much of it does feel ordinary. And we want to learn, Lord, that having been saved by grace, there are now no ordinary moments. But we can lean into the good works that you have prepared for us to do and therefore live with incredible purpose. Lord, would we be a people who gaze on the canyon and who don't chase after squirrels? We pray in the perfect name of Christ. Amen.